0: Father, we come from all different places this morning. Some who are carrying deep and heavy wounds and some who are shouldering burdens of their own or maybe others. And God, we come before you, some with great joy, experiencing your hand at work, maybe in their family or some relief of an illness or or maybe some occasion that they've had to celebrate. But God, we come together and we all say thank you that you are our God and you are our Father and you are the great shepherd who watches over us. And we just thank you for your love. I pray for each and every person here that this morning, God, you would move in our hearts and you would make this a place that is safe to show up with what we're thinking of, our doubts, and whatever may be going on in our life, that this would be a place, God, where people can be real with you. Because that's what you want, is you want us to show up before you. So, God, here we are. And as a body, we come together and we, we also pray, not just for what you want to do in us, but for those around us, God. There, there are, I know as I pray, names that may come to mind. But I, I pray, Lord Jesus, right now, for so many who have been under that violent storm of Florence, God, and and, and just all that has occurred on our East Coast, we pray, Lord Jesus, for those in times of real extremity that, God, you would meet their need, Provide for them. Love them, care for them. Draw them to you. Father, we come before you and we also pray for our country and for our leaders and we ask, Lord Jesus, That you would raise up someone, God, some leaders that would begin to look to you and bring this nation together in a way that uh, people are truly loved and valued and cared for. We pray, God, for you to intervene. That, God, this this divide of hatred, which everyone has been a part of, it just exposes our own hatred and our own divide in our own hearts. God, we ask for you, Holy Spirit, to begin begin to move and and to lead we just admit our, our weakness and our need of you. God, take our judgment away that, that, that puts people in prison. The Spirit of God live in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. You know, I just want to say um, it's been just a, a busy couple of weekends and yesterday we had just such joy. We had 170 um, adults and kids at our little, what we affectionately term our country house. So I'm a little tired from walking um, another person who helped me, Joe Miller, who we just walked the horse around for over an hour with kids on the, the horse's back. So you see me kind of moving. It, it, I don't do that normally but it was really fun. God blessed us with just so many people who came together, some of these families that have young children, and some of the singles who came. I, I, I'm excited about what God has been doing. He's just been busy this past week, and so I'm going to ask if Andrea and, and where's Carrie as well would come forward and just share with us a little bit about what happened on Thursday.
1: Thank you. I'm Andrea Habeis, and I'm part of the worship and prayer staff, and this is Carrie Boyce, and she's part of the leadership of our prayer team, and we were both at drive-through prayer on Thursday from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., but first I want to show you a cute picture. So we, John and I, we raise small Scottish Highland cattle, and we had a brand new baby this morning, and these and this are, these are um, the other calves coming to say hi, so... There was new life in our pasture this morning and there was new life on Thursday in the, as, we, as people came through for drive-through prayer. So we just wanted to share a couple of really quick stories and Carrie's going to go first. So we had every range of emotion you could imagine came through to talk with us on Thursday. And one of the times I was out at the table where we were offering water and um, just kind of greeting people and then instructing them where to go to be prayed with, a car drove up and the guy was just wreathed in smiles. And I thought, well, this is another one of those people who's going to come through and say, this is so cool, love that you guys are praying, da 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 Instead, he was reason smiling and said, I've never prayed before. How does this work? And I thought, oh, how cool. Somebody who has never prayed was prompted to drive through and pray with some of our team. New life, right? And then we had another gentleman come through, and he uh, was very close to losing his business in the next couple weeks if he doesn't. Um, If some solutions aren't found, he will uh, have to go out of business, and so he came through for prayer, and after he was prayed for, he left. Well, he drove back uh, a few minutes later, and he just said, you know, can I give a donation? Can I, you know, help in some way? And we're just like, no, you know, we're just here to pray for you, and we don't expect anything, and he said, I just have to let you know that uh, that prayer just turned my heart, and I have hope. And, you know, just so thankful for someone to come around and pray with him. So thank you to those of you who prayed. Thank you for those of you who just held a sign or handed out water. Thank you. <laughs> we had over over 100 people, 101. 101 people came through for prayer. So, We're going to get ready to take our offering this morning, and I will cut the ushers forward. You can also fill out your communication card with your prayer requests, your praises, and put those in the offering plate as it's passed. We're just so thankful that you're here. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we too want to be those who come back and say thank you to you for all the ways that you've blessed us, for being such a present God, for allowing us to share your love with others. And Father, I just pray that... In this way that we give would also show our love for you and for others as we give so that others can hear about your great love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
2: My name is Julian Johnson. I am a, I'm a father of a, of a couple kids. Uh, I've got an 18-year-old down to a 4-year-old son. My wife Tess and I have been coming here to Waseda Free for the past three years now. At one point, uh, very recently here, uh, in the month of May 2018, was a very, uh, it was an emotional roller coaster of a month. In that one month, my sister was married. Um, I had a brother who passed away. Uh, I started my own business and picked up my first client and, you know, uh, of course, quit another job. and so. Uh, May was an, an impressive month, <clears throat> but if it wasn't for the community that was created with the group of men that I uh, found at this church and kind of got underneath the hood and started to talk to people one-on-one and really kind of get an understanding of who people were, um, that, would have, uh, that month would have been, I think, a little bit more difficult than, than what it was. And so, um, if nothing else, it gave me a safe place to land. Right. It gave me a place to circle back around and understand that, yes, there are, this is a great church. Yes, we're doing great things for the, for the western uh, uh, suburbs, uh, the Minneapolis metro area, but we're also uh, just rich and filled with, uh, with really quality you know, people. There's, there's quality men who I can struggle with and who can be there for me and give me of, uh of Jesus, of God uh... that helped me along the way
0: that was kind of a cool story and uh... julian thanks for sharing that and uh... I, I, I remember when your note came uh... kind of we have a number of groups that meet at panera and and he's not in my group but we always kid there's a few groups there and they're the varsity group or jv but um... <laughs> and when and julian just shared about his brother and, and uh... No one plans for crisis. You can plan like when you're going to start a new business and do things like that, and plan for other things. But no one plans for crisis. And I remember when that note came across Julian, and just people responded from the group. I just go being in community, being in groups where you're getting to know one another, and you can share your life when those experiences come. God never meant for us to live lonely, isolated lives, and it's really our choice to move into them. So with that in mind, I I, want to talk about, in fact, I should just say, you know, I I thought since the last day of summer, it was so hot yesterday, I didn't think I'd get to wear the summer shirt again, but anyway, uh, that's a little for nothing. Anyway, uh, fear, we're talking about fear, and, and we all feel it. We may not be able to name it. That's probably one of the biggest difficulties. You ask people you're fearful and they won't be able to identify it. But if you listen to them talk, they'll eventually be able to get there. Uh, worry. We all entertain worry. Because we all stress in our life. Hurry. We all live it. As we rush to uh, get to work or to... to um, get to school or or to run this morning on your way to church to get here in time, and I hope that you come earlier because um, you'll notice that it's harder to get your back seats. Um, We want you to move up front. But if you run to get and pick up your kids or drop them off or you run after grandkids, you, you name it, it's filled with hurry. Max Lucado, who is an author and a preacher, shares a story of a conversation he had with a native Hawaiian, someone who had generations that grew up in Hawaii and had heard the stories of of when the islanders had these non-Hawaiians come into their land. And they used the word for them as they watched their life. The word was haoli. These people, they said, were haoli. That Hawaiian word meant they were people with no breath. You think, oh, what do you mean, No breath. Well, in the 1820s, when the European immigrants began to settle among the Pacific Islands, the Hawaiian forefathers just watched how busy and restless these strange, whiter-looking people were. He says, our forefathers thought the settlers were always in a hurry to build plantations, harbors, and ranches. And to the native Hawaiians, they seemed short of breath. Some 200 years later, from 1820 to 2020, really, you think about it, not much has changed. We're even, and I think in many ways more, a breathless society. We're driven by fear and worry and hurry, and we gasp for our breath as we move from one thing to the other. We eat meals quickly, grab something on the go in in the morning, if we grab anything at all, and you skip lunch, right? Many skip lunch in order to to finish a project or or run an errand, and then you come home, especially those of you who have families with young kids, and you pick them up to get them to whatever event you're going to get them to, or grandparents are doing that for some of their kids, or whatever. Fear and anxiety kind of takes our breath, depletes our energy, robs us of sleep, and does exactly what the psalmist David said would happen. There's a psalm, chapter 37, verse 8. In the Living Bible, like the way it says, it says, do not fret and worry. You know, don't give yourself to fear that turns to worry and and fret. It only leads to harm. Physical, emotional, mental, and it spills into relational harm. A dictionary says that harm is pain, injury, hurt, or trauma which is deliberately inflicted. I think that's interesting. Harm is deliberately inflicted. And David says, don't do it. Don't self-inflict yourself. Don't harm yourself. Because harm does all kinds of things. Think about it. Some of you right here have tight necks, right? It, it, it impacts your backs and your bowels. It makes our skin break out. Our eyes twitch. Our blood pressure rise. Our heads ache. It weakens our immune system. And if you get nervous enough, you get wet and smelly. Gross, right? And, anyway. God wants us to live life without fear. That was not his plan for us to live in fear and to worry. So we're talking about this series, Living Without Fear, and as I was kind of thinking through this this last uh, summer, and it became apparent to me as you just, uh, just read enough of the different news articles and things going on, listen to the reports, and you see it from all ages, fear has increased greatly in our society, and people are filled with worry more than they have in the past. And so Genesis 23 talks... I mean, Psalm 23, we'll talk about that. In fact, we're going to look at it because we become a breathless society. What's interesting is you go to what God intended. Go to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. It's the second creation account. It's the, it's the first one is Genesis 1 where you see all that God is doing. He actually takes and He makes something and then He divides and separates it. That's the pattern, divide and separate. Well, when we come to Genesis 2, it's a, it's a telescopic view of God's creation, of the pinnacle of creation, which is mankind. And in Genesis 2, you see another dividing and separating. He creates man. And here's what he says. He creates mankind. And then a little bit later, he divides and separates male and female. But he says when he creates mankind, he says, And the Lord God formed Adam from the dust of Adama. That's what the Hebrew is. It's Adam and Adama, this kind of parallel. From the dust of the ground. And he breathed the breath of life into Adam's nostrils. And Adam became... A living being. And the point is that God breathed into us. That's what he wants. He wants us to live by his breath. By his spirit. And he wants us to be filled. It says in in, in Romans chapter 14. It says to be filled with, with righteousness, peace, and joy. Serving, he says, the anointed one in this way. By walking in these realities of righteousness, peace, and joy, do you know what it does? It pleases God and earns respect of others. God goes, I love that. He's breathing my life. He's walking under my shepherd care. And as he does so, and as she does so, not only am I pleased, people go, wow. I, I, I don't get that. I know what's going on in their life. David writes in Psalm 23 to counteract this kind of breathless, fear-driven, worry racked hurry-paced life. He looks back on his childhood days, because many believe that he wrote this when he was a shepherd king, looking out at his people and seeing at a stressful time in his own life and maybe in their lives. And, and so he begins to record these thoughts that he had, probably when he was a, as a, a child, and, and where he was calm and full of breath as a child, overseeing his father's flock I and mean, as he oversaw the father's flock he looked out and, and probably on a night when it was just calm and, and he saw the sheep so filled with breath and peaceful and cared for and he just looks out and he looks up and he goes Father I'm not a really good shepherd but I'm doing the best I can and look how well cared for how, how they're growing and they're fruitful and they're they just seem filled with calm and peace and these little sheep our experience, what you created to experience, and yet you are like that to me. You are like that to us. We're the sheep of your flock. In the weeks to come, we'll get into more of the analogy of what it means to be a shepherd and, a, and, and that of a lamb and, and, and a part of the flock. Uh, because he uses a, a metaphor that we're not really used to. Um, how many here have been shepherds? Not in a metaphorical sense. I mean, actual shepherds. He, so, so most of you don't probably have some of the understanding of what they would understand in that day because that's what they did. How many of you had some experience with computers? Raise your hands. That would be the analogy we might use, something like that today. But <clears throat> he uses shepherds. So he says, "The Lord is my shepherd; I shall not want." I'm going to ask you to stand. And we're going to say this psalm, but we're not going to read the whole psalm right now. We're just going to read verse 1, and we're going to read through it in a number of translations. This might be a good thing to do. You could pick up a bunch of them. But we're going to start, and we're going to read this together. Let's read it together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Another version. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I have everything I need. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall experience nothing as missing. The Lord is my best friend and my shepherd. I always have more than enough. That's the main point. When we look at verse 1, we're looking at a God who is above you. When we look at this whole psalm, you'll see he hems us in from every side. But you have a God who's above you, watching over you. And the main point is, with God, you have all you need. Rest, slow down, breathe. Turn to someone okay, I turn to someone if you feel comfortable, turn to someone and just look at them and say breathe okay, do that
3: <clears throat>
0: okay good, good okay, wait, okay and in silence right now be still and let us all of us just merely breathe okay, you may be seated keep breathing though, please <clears throat> I'd like that if you would David is not saying that you don't have any needs or no, that you don't have feel fear or you, 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 you need not worry. I mean, the, the reality is that you, you're, he's not saying you don't feel alone. He's not saying those emotions aren't real or that times you feel incapable and, and, and incompetent to care for a situation. He's not saying that at all. David's saying you need not live this way. It is self-inflicted Harm. Because you have a heavenly shepherd who is above you. And my guess is if you said that a number of times, you'd probably say, yeah, I believe that. But you know, the reality of whether you believe it will show up when you go home or when you leave here or when you get to work the next day or whatever. <clears throat> so how do you live <clears throat> Excuse me, without fear? And as we look at verse 1, because we'll be looking at this throughout this whole pa- time, the first, verse 1 is the first step to live in the reality is to recognize that you have a competent and good God and you're willing to let him lead you. That's basic. If that's the message, I could sit down and you guys go, oh, okay, good, don't say anymore. Well, I'm going to. Because um, the first thing that you see in this when he talks about being a shepherd and he says, he says the Lord, he says the Lord. He says the Lord God. This is the God who created the whole universe. This is the God who's over everything. This God is great. So the first thing he wants you to do, if you're going to live with the Lord as your shepherd as you leave here and you go through the week, is to recognize that you are to focus on the greatness of God, your shepherd. He wants you to focus on this truth that is rooted outside your feelings because we're so given to feelings. One person has said, a great part of the disaster of our contemporary life lies in the fact that it is organized around feelings. People merely always act on their feelings and think it is the only right to do so. The will then is left At the mercy of circumstances that evoke feelings. And I love what he says. Feelings are good servants, but they're disastrous masters. And so focus on the truth. Take your eyes off the problem. Take your eyes off of what is there. And recognize that there is someone greater than your problem. It starts right there. Will you put your focus on God? Dallas Willard says this, the, gl- the glorious, eternal, all-sufficient, omnipotent creator of the universe, the glorious, eternal, all-sufficient, omnipotent creator of the universe, whose greatness surpasses anything we can imagine, unlimited resources, just as he is unlimited in love, is the good shepherd who generously provides for every need. He's sufficient. He's competent focus on him and his ability, start taking your eyes off of your own ability and the problem. Now, this is not a call to denial in any way at all. It, it, it's a call to be real about it. So in order to understand this, we need to understand what the difference between fear and anxiety is, because we all live with fear and anxiety. But fear was an emotion that was meant to be given to us to kind of help us be, to protect ourselves from a real threat. So you have to understand that fear is not something bad. It is actually something necessary, protecting us from real danger. They're like <clears throat> in your car when you have the warning light going on, kind of going, you know, like the engine's getting hot. you got to you pay attention to it, do something. To deny it, you're going to have a problem. So there's times when you go through life and the emotional indicator on your dashboard in life begins to flash. That's fear. God-given. You need to pay attention to it. But the problem is we live in it. We let fear turn to worry. You you need to address whatever that problem is and deal with it. But what happens with fear is so often we move it to a place of worry and we begin to start thinking somehow I've got to manage, I've got to take care of this problem. We take our eyes off of this God and we begin to, and here's what worry is. Worry is merely perceived threat. Does that make sense? It moves from the real fear to a perceived threat that we build in our mind that we spend lots of energy on thinking it could happen, may it may never happen. And in fact, some people are so good at this, they can give you 15 different strategies they've built in their mind to not have that threat happen. There's an illustration that I think about around this, um, and that is, like I remember one time when I began to understand this whole idea of fear, and I was working through fear and anxiety and, and seeking to understand it, I was going to, I think it was a Target, and I got out of the car. I went and started walking on my way. And as I'm walking by an SUV, right against the window is this dog. I mean, it was Stephen King's Cujo. It was, it was, it was, it fangs were bared, it was drooling. And here's what happened. My emotional indicator of fear, as I'm walking by, immediately lit. And what happens is you, you, you react immediately and you jump and I jumped away and I was ready to take it on. I honestly was so filled with adrenaline, I wanted to punch the window. Like And so I, I walked away. That's a good thing. I mean that's what God placed in us in order to protect ourselves. It's the fight and flight kind of whole thing and, and that's good. But the problem is that we live stressful lives. And what happens is we begin to worry and we allow stress to to overtake us. And and, and so what can happen then is a person can, as they begin to start thinking of threats, and and this this is going to be kind of a silly illustration, but it could be the next time I pull into a a Target or some parking lot, I get out of my car and I'm thinking, oh, I remember last time. And as I start walking, I see an SUV and I go, instead of walking by, I go way around it. And then I allow that to occur, and I go, yeah, there's, you know, maybe five SUVs, so now I park in another lane where there are no SUVs. And then I begin to worry because the possibility of the threat might get me. Instead of parking in that lane where there are, you know, there are not even SUVs, I start parking at the back of the lot so I can go in. it. And I'm controlled by a perceived threat. And I don't even let the indicator light of fear or do its work, which God intended. And I live my life that way. And God says, what I want you to do is let these indicator lights work. But if you let the one move to a place of worry and you focus on the problem and you don't realize that you have a God who is greater and bigger than the problem, you're going to be controlled by things that are create greater problems in your life. Now some of you can talk about this and I don't want to simplify this but some of you have been wounded at points in your life where you don't even know where the wound is, and that wound has now complicated things because you find even in relationship. I can share this stuff happens in our relationship. Right, Grace? Yeah. Where I perceive the situation is the same, and even though my wife's intention may not be that way, I perceive it this way, and I react. Anybody, have that ever? Anybody do that? do I mean, just me, right? Okay, I'm glad there's a few honest people here. And God wants to unveil and help us understand what it is that creates those reactions because he wants us to live this life with breath and he wants us to live it fully, not denying emotions, but not living in stress. This past summer ago, I was getting my hair cut by uh, a a lady who has done my hair for a long time. Anyway, um, (laughs) I dedicated her when she was a child. So... I have a great relationship with her, and I'm sitting there, and she's kind of messing with my, and also she goes, you know, you've got a, like a little spot where there's no hair, like about a quarter size. You have, I think, I think it's Arietta Alpecia, or or some really good name that made me afraid. I said, you need to see a dermatologist. So I started going in, and I did, and I started getting other spots, and I'm thinking I'm going to lose, I'm going to look like funny, and I did for a little bit. So I'm here with the doctor, and here's what I think is kind of interesting. She's a dermatologist. She says to me, you know, um, how are you doing uh, with stress? And I go, and she goes, um, you know, you're going to always have stress. How are you managing your stress? So really what Psalm 23 is about is about how you deal with stress. I mean, it's not going to go away. The fear of light goes on, and then you have to be careful what it is you got to understand. It's, we have a great ministry called Gateway Prayer Ministry for if you really want the Holy Spirit sometimes to get underneath and kind of set free some of those things that may cause reactions, I encourage you to think about that and find it online um, and, and hear how it happens, but, and, and what, they, what they do as a prayer ministry. Um, But I just want to encourage you to to think through this passage of Scripture. And, And it's really this. Do you really believe there is this God who is greater than you, who is capable and competent? Do you believe that? Jesus looked at a group of people who were worried and hurried and said, look at the flowers, look at the birds. He was trying to get them to believe something that's true. They had heard this all their life. They were, these were good Jews. He says, your father is competent to care for those flowers and birds. He can care for you. Put your focus on his greatness. Fix your mind on him. There's a verse of scripture, Isaiah 26.3, says, you, God, will keep in perfect peace he whose mind is stayed on him stayed on him. Dallas Ward says again, belief will become, will come as you experience the truth about God. It comes as you experience the truth about God. We must think about God in ways that match what God is like. And, and the most important thing about your mind is what it is fixed upon. So David looked at his people and it sense of you and me and says, Look, look at the sheep of the pasture. Your God is good and competent as a shepherd. Don't give yourself to self-inflicted worry. Put your focus on his greatness. You know, the presence of peace in your life is a choice. It's a choice, and it's a matter of focus. Max Lucado, in his book, *Anxious for Nothing, writes, the presence of fear and anxiety is unavoidable. It's going to happen. But the prison of fear and anxiety is optional. The choice to focus on God's greatness, because he is greater than any problem, he is bigger than any threat you face, he can heal any and every wound that has ever been a part of your life. So focus on the greatness of God. And I'm going to ask you to say it with me. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Do you notice the capital My? Let's say it again. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. So focus on the greatness of God. And you may need to say it again and again. Part, part of this is a practice. We don't realize that part of growing in this peace, the choice of peace, is something you practice. Just like, you know, someone takes piano begins to learn to get better um, you begin to practice this again and again so that you begin to make not your feelings and the problem, the, the, the master, but you say, God, I'm your servant. And these emotions will become your servant as well. The second thing i would going to encourage you to do is to celebrate the goodness of God, your shepherd. So you focus on the greatness that he's able and competent enough to care for this and there's a choice in this. There's also a choice in what I call the celebration of the goodness of God. Once again, it's the whole idea of you've got to get your mind off yourself. This is so hard for a modern-day society. It's really hard. I've got to tell you, it's just hard for me. Some people are better at this than others. Get your mind off your own self. Focus on God's greatness and then specifically celebrate in your mind and by what you say the goodness of God. And it's not natural for anyone really to do this because our flesh, our natural impulse, is to to rehearse all the negative outcomes, right? It's just, you know, what if, what if, what if, what if? And what the Word of God seems to indicate here is if we let our fears and our worry control our minds and we self-inflict on our bodies and our relationships, that fear turns to worry and that worry begins to destroy us with all these rehearsals of what ifs. But here's the important question you need to ask when it comes to what else. Is this a real threat or a perceived threat? Is this a legitimate fear that you need to take action on? Just because your emotional indicator light goes off does not mean there's a real threat. And so the practice of this is to go, you know what, this is a worry. This is not going to, you know, it could happen. If it does, God will take care of it. But I have no control over it. So I'm going to listen and participate with God in this. And so instead of rehearsing the what if, start rehearsing the goodness of God because if you're going to remove something, you've got to replace it. It's just the way it goes. So you start to say, okay, God, I'm going to rehearse your goodness. And one of the best ways to do that is to take time. One of the things I found in the morning for me is I need to journal. I need to take out a journal, and I'll begin to write what happened the day before and and try to pay attention if I need to ask God for forgiveness or I need to work through something, I'll work through that. But then at a certain point, I'll just start writing down things of thanks. I just look at things that God has done in my life where he's just been good to me, evidence of his goodness. And there's something about focusing on this God who's great enough, he's bigger than my problem, and then begin to start you know, rehearsing his goodness rather than all the what-ifs and all the worries and all the concerns. And I just start to write those things down, and I go, man, you've loved me. You've done this in the past. You can do it again. And then it's often what happens too is as I read God's word, I begin to see stories of other people who have been goodness. One of the reasons you want to be in a small group is because just as as we heard here earlier about Julian and, and people coming around him at that time is that you can allow for the goodness of God through other people, through their stories, to have an impact on your life. It really is your choice. It's my choice to say, God, how much do I want to begin to walk the way that you want me to so that I put myself under the shepherd's care so that this competent and great God can look at all my little problems that seem great to me and as I walk them out, I begin to surround myself with the goodness of God and celebrate it and rehearse it and and I begin to understand that this God loves me. There's a great verse in Scripture in Revelation chapter 12 where here it shows this picture of Satan being unleashed on Israel, the mother Israel, and then it says the church, her children. And at a certain point, he rehearses this poem that I think was a poem of the, of the early church at that time. And, and at one point, the line says, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Two things here. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb, which is the love and goodness of God that is expressed in the cross. And he says, you know, even as big as your sin is, he's greater than that. The biggest problem you have is your own selfishness and your own sin. And God is greater than that because he sends his, his son and through his blood, removes everything you've ever done wrong and will do wrong by his grace and his grace alone. All you need to do is step into it by faith, and it's yours. But there's a second thing he says. It's not only really what God has done, now he talks about what you can do. By the word of your testimony, as you begin to celebrate the goodness of God, you focus on the fact that the cross is where it's been displayed. That's the truth. You don't need to live by your feelings. You don't need to let this voice continue to cause you to feel shame and guilt and, and, and push you into that way, but as you begin to say, that's true, you begin to, by the word of your testimony, you speak out the good things of God rather than the what-ifs. And for some of you who are not as verbally expressive, and the what-ifs are just going around in your mind, I challenge you to start speaking out the goodness of God. Not the what-ifs, but the what is true. God will take care of the outcome. It may not be the way you want it. I've begun to realize now at times when I've had God speak to me and He said, God God said, Kevin, I'm going to care for you. I love you. i have seen it in the past. I'm going to care for you. I've begun to realize I've got to be very careful not to put my box around what that outcome looks like. He could speak to you in a prophetic way where he says a word, and a lot of times when those words come, you don't really fully understand it. So I was holding loose, but I always say this. I know that in it, God's going to care for the outcome no matter what it is. And so you can live with this growing truth in your heart as you practice it and say it with me. The Lord, the Lord is my... I don't, we don't need this. We, we can say it without this maybe even. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Say it again. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I will focus on his greatness and I will celebrate his goodness and then I'll begin to release control. uh, The way I've said it is let God your shepherd grasp hold of you and your fear and any worry that wants to come with it. It is the choice here. Here's your choice. Release your control over the situation. Quit trying to control your outcome. Do all that you're supposed to do as God reveals it to you, but at a certain point you let it go and say, God, this is yours. Put it in the grasp of God. He's competent and he's good and he loves you. So think for a second. What is going on in your life right now? Just just think of one thing that's causing you to worry. Okay. Close your eyes, breathe, Okay. and think. And now more than just think, take and just focus on the greatness of God. Celebrate he's been good to you and, and let it go. Take your hands and just kind of let it go. So here's God. So listen and kind of look here for a second. Have you noticed how both fear and anxiety as it increases, um, it... Let me say it this way. Have you noticed how both fear and anxiety increase as perceived control decreases? You ever, you ever notice that? And The more you feel like you're losing control, the more the anxiety gets up, and then the more you try and do. I had a dog, and this dog it was a Sheltie named Shelby, and by nature, its breed loves to herd. I've shared this story before because it had such an impact. on I mean, Shelties by nature are little sheepdogs, and they're instinctual is their ability to want to corral things. And so my kids would play Shelby tag, and the whole point of the game was the dog would bark and run around them and try and tag them, corralling them into a circle. When people would actually come onto our driveway where we lived, the dog would start going crazy and it would run around the car as the car's moving thinking like, there's some there's something out of place here, we got to deal with this, and he would be barking, and the people would be scared inside, this dog going to nip me, and I would just be embarrassed a bit, so I would call, I'd whistle, I'd do all the things that normally the dog would come to, I'd demonstrably say, come on over here, and i just, I'd get into it, and I'm yelling, and the dog is barking more and more. I'm, I got to figure this out. One day I was in a bookstore. I like bookstores. I was reading, um, and I was stopped by this thing. It was a dog training, and it talked about Shelties and sheepdogs, etc. And one of the things it said in there is that it's really interesting that um, when your dog does what's natural and herds and gets all excited, the one thing you don't want to do is get excited with them, <laughs> because when you get excited, you start to yell and do that. All they hear is words that go blah 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 blah, but what they pick up is your tone, and that is that you're as afraid as they are. And you're thinking, go, go, and you're just, and it's a, try something different. (laughs) Try to be softer, calmer. Walk to the dog and call it gently so it realizes you're not afraid either. It worked. Crazy, it worked. Here's what I, I want you to understand. David writes, he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I needed in that situation to let go of the way I was trying to get the outcome to happen and listen to someone far wiser, far more competent, far more caring than me. And when I talk about releasing your grip and letting God get hold of you, I'm not talking again about being passive. I'm just saying you take time and you say, God, I I know you can handle this and I know that you love me, so I'm just going to open my hands and say, God, how do you want me to walk through this with righteousness, peace, and joy so that I walk in these realities knowing that I'm serving the shepherd and people are, are looking in and they're going, wow, that's different, and you're pleased. I'm just going to share with you, here's a quote, I think it's kind of cool from Dallas World. He says, we don't believe something merely by saying we believe it, by our profession. You know, we always think that, oh, you know, what do you believe? And you say it, and you go, oh, that's what he believes. He says, no, we don't believe something by merely saying we believe it, we believe something when we act as if it were true. That's the way the Hebrew word belief meant. It meant that you were actually, not just you were obeying, it would say, but it meant that you believed it so much that you acted as if it was true. No matter what you thought in your mind, whatever that worry is. So I'm going to share with you just three things and we're going to conclude and, and uh, end the service. And, and the three things are pretty simple. I need the help up on the screen because I wrote these down as I was driving here because I thought, well, these things kind of tipped it off for me. The peace of God is a choice. If you want something, you know, people say, I want to do something real practical. The peace of God is a choice. Fix your mind. First thing you have to do is fix your mind. Say, I'm, not going to, I, I'm going to quit staring at the problem right now. I've done all the work I could around this, but I'm going to just trust that you're competent. I'm going to fix my mind on you today. And then I'm going to control my mouth. That's a real big one. Because you can fix your mind and then not really believe and go around and talk to everybody about all the what-ifs. Or you can go around and let the what-ifs talk to you all day. By controlling your mouth, you're saying, God, I'm going to start talking. Talking, saying out loud, by testimony, how you've helped me in the past. And this God is good. So you fix your mind, control your mouth, and here's the last. You release your grip. So it's really easy. Head, mouth, let go. Let's stand together and let's pray. Father, I pray right now that you would begin to teach us throughout this whole series. We we are going to learn, God, how to be people that walk in the realm of the Holy Spirit filled with righteousness, peace and joy serving you, the anointed one by walking in these kingdom realities of righteousness, peace and joy so that it pleases you and it earns respect of others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have us say this Psalm 23 together, and uh, as we say this, my prayer is that you might memorize this if you don't know it, Uh, but it is this whole part of where God hems you in. He is the one who um, is over you, and He's before you, leading you. He's beside you. He's beneath you to support you, and He comes from behind. So if you have that Psalm 23, the whole text there, we're going to say that together. Um, And just live this way. Over these next few weeks, hemmed in by the love of God, let's say it together. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not walk. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me